Power Tools, brought to you by the National Association of Chronic Disease Directors. For more information, go to www.chronicdisease.org. Well, good morning. This is John Patton with the National Association of Chronic Disease Directors, and we're back for another edition of Power Tools. And uh, as many of you know, we call it Power Tools because we believe that there are really talented, qualified, vetted partners that we get the opportunity to work with that add significant and exponential power to our work and to the work of our members. And one of those companies is Cognito. That is Cognito with a K, and it's my pleasure today to have with us co-founder Ron Goldman. Ron, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. So one thing that, that I, I just got to tell everybody that this is one of the most exciting calls because we all know that conversations sometimes can be difficult. And it could be with a spouse, it could be with a parent-child conversation, uh, it could be uh, just about any conversation at work that's difficult. But one of the conversations that's particularly challenging in some cases is a patient-provider conversation. And Ron recognized this and put together kind of what I call the, the peanut butter and chocolate of a Reese's peanut butter company, combined two things, uh, and created something truly amazing that helps people practice those difficult conversations. So Ron, let me turn it over to you. Tell us what were those two elements you brought together uh, to solve that problem. Oh, thank you. Um, you know, it's been a really interesting journey for us as a company. We started about 10 years ago and really wanted to concentrate on what we felt is really a missing piece, which is exactly the one you talked about. There's a lot of work that's being done around building clinical knowledge uh, among health professionals. Uh, there's a lot of patient education that's out there that's talk about the specific, again, clinical aspect. But we all know that at the end of the day, the conversation, the ability of a provider to effectively engage a patient in a conversation, to build a type of rapport and respect, to engage them in a conversation that can lead in behavior change is really, really important, right? We cannot just lecture to a patient. We can just tell them what, what we want them to do. We've got to really work with them and collaborate with them. So for us, it was really combining two things. One was uh, interactive and gaming technology, Right? We all know that people learn better through practice. None of us learn how to ride the bike by watching a movie. We all had to get on the bike. So learn by doing, learn through practice is obviously better than just watching or reading. And the other thing was really the science of learning, uh, social cognition, neuroscience, really understanding how people build skills and change their own behavior in real life. How do we can merge both of those together so that our solutions that can be deployed online or through mobile phones really brings back uh, together the science and the gaming technology to provide very effective experiences for users. 
You know, uh, I bet, uh, I mean, that is, that is the chocolate and peanut butter combination. And I'm sure many listeners are, are wondering, well, what's the gaming aspect? Uh, we, we, we probably are very familiar, most folks, with videos and, and watching training videos and role-playing and that kind of thing. But you went into the gaming world and created what you call virtual humans. Explain that to the folks. Yeah, so if what we want you to do is get better at managing a conversation in real life, obviously what we should do is try to mimic that exact experience within a virtual space. So we have to create a virtual human. And that virtual human needs to not just be a, an animated cartoon on the screen, right? They really need to embody in them a personality, a medical condition, a behavioral health condition, right? We know there's a lot of comorbidity between behavioral health and, and physical health. So we want to create a virtual human that you can have a conversation with. You can decide what to say. That virtual human responds back to you. And the response to you are really all driven by this combination of their personality, their medical, their behavioral health condition. And what's interesting is that virtual humans, if you look at the research, um, we as real people are actually more comfortable talking with virtual humans than we are with real people. Uh, we are uh, more open to feedback. Uh, we get less defensive if we get feedback, uh, especially a negative feedback on how well we're doing, which much more likely to explore and try different approaches. So virtual humans um, are really best suited to provide people with this engaging learning experience that can really mimic real life. So it's really... Um, you have to see it to fully understand. It's a little, a little bit requires imagination right now, just listening to us. But when you see these virtual humans, people really relate to them. They can really have a conversation with them. They can get feedback on how well they're doing. So if you are in the conversation, becoming judgmental or dismissive of the patient, um, the patient will respond like a real person would, right? Uh, and they have memory. So if you are at the beginning of the conversation, again, being judgmental or not, just lecturing to them, you know, they will remember that and they will continue to respond in that way. So it really is just uh, best suited for these type of experiences. You know, it, it is difficult to, to visualize it. And at the end of this call, we're going to make everyone listen to, uh, to the podcast. But uh, at the end, we'd like to give out the um, some URLs that people can go and actually, um, you know, see what we're talking about because uh, seeing is believing. The memory idea of these characters, the uh, thought bubbles that come up into their brain, and you can click on that and, and see what they're actually or look at what they're really thinking. Uh, it just uh, never ceases to amaze me how accurate it is. Um, it, it's just exactly like you would expect a, a real human to be thinking. How do you get the, the content uh, to be so accurate for the subject matter? Yeah, so uh, it's interesting because the, the virtual humans, uh, and we have a number of apps that are on the, on the store. If you just search for Cognito, you, you can see a few and, and play them. But those virtual humans, there are a few things that we do. One is we do give them real uh, people's voices, right? So um, when you do talk to them, uh, you hear a real person, an actor that we bring into the process, that we coach, that we record, so that you really get that emotional aspect. But at the more basic level, when we begin a project, you know, our expertise is in learning design and simulation technology, but we're not experts in, let's say, diabetes or opioids or mental health 
Um, so we do collaborate very, very closely with subject matter experts as well as um, sample end users. So the subject matter experts, for example, we will bring them in, and this will be people who know um, what happens in these interactions in real life, they know about the topic, and we'll engage them in a conversation to first of all map out what are those effective and ineffective tactics that people uh, uh, do in these type of, of, of uh, scenarios, right? What are the common mistakes that people do and what are the best practices? In many, many cases, they come from motivational interviewing um, uh, techniques and empathy and other things like that. After we map it with the subject matter experts, we work with them to figure out what is a, a good, relevant scenario Right? What is the profile of the patient I'm going to talk about? What is the goal that I have in this exact scenario? And we start writing it with them so that we can really, again, mimic a real-life experience. And so we don't ask them to write. We do all of that, but we do interview them, and we come up with a scenario. So as you go through it, you can again and again be exposed to opportunities to choose from those effective and ineffective tactics as a way for you to learn. There are actually hundreds of pathways, conversational pathways, dependent on the choices you make that you can go down right. and undo and, yeah. Correct, I mean, the, the idea here is to create an open-ended environment where you can take the conversations in many different directions, right? So you can make a decision, you can choose a different path, you can undo, you can try something else. Really wanna give you a bit of a playground to play with and as you talk with this patient, because we want you to learn through experience, right? We're not gonna tell you, hey, don't be judgmental because it means different things for different people. Until you do that in this simulation and you see how it affected the virtual human, you don't really understand what it means to be judgmental and why that's not a good thing to do. So it's, it's really that, that part of that, of that process. Now, in addition to the SMEs, the subject matter experts, we do bring in sample end users, right? So if we do something for uh, nurses, well, we want nurses to be part of the process. We want to hear from them uh, about it. And keep in mind that, you know, one of the new ways in which we're applying our virtual humans is not just as a subject of practice, which is kind of what I've talked about so far, but also as virtual coaches, right? We can use these virtual humans so they appear on the screen and they engage you, the, the patient, the caregiver, in a conversation. They can ask you questions. They can answer your questions. They can communicate specific messages. And that's some of the projects that we have done um, uh, with the NACDD and the CDD were around that. Uh, for example, for women that have been diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer, um, making sure that they have a place they can go in a virtual a coach they can go and talk to to fully understand everything about their condition so they can make the right treatment decision for themselves. If you do something like that, yes, you need the oncologist and the other experts to make sure that you're talking correctly about triple negative breast cancer, but you also need the actual patients, the actual um, cancer survivors uh, that will be part of the process that will tell you these are the things we would like to ask. These are the things I wish I knew when I was there. So it's really about a process that brings the experts, the clinical experts, but also brings the actual people that will be engaging in this experience because if we don't hear from them, we, don't, we can't really do a good job here.
Yeah, I think that was beautifully said. And, and, and just so everybody's clear, again, there are really, uh, there may be more, but I know of three different uh, manifestations of these virtual humans. So one might be a, a physician talking directly to you in a didactic form, uh, telling and, and kind of lecturing uh, in the best sense of the word, uh, pro- communicating information directly to the viewer. Uh, the second being that, that paired up conversation where you choose a different roles to play. I'm going to play the physician, or I'm going to play the patient, or I'm going to play the you know, school counselor, I'm going to play the student. And then the third one, that, that coaching, is that I'm actually involved in the, in the you know, conversation in that I'm talking to a coach. And you, you, know, uh, you mentioned uh, our work with CDC and uh, the cancer division and uh, Dr. Lisa Richardson and the triple negative breast cancer. We meet uh, a character called Linda sitting in the park and talking to her and as a, as a newly diagnosed person uh, with cancer and able to ask questions. Um, tell me, tell me uh, about other simulations that you've done, Ron, that, that involve you know, any of those three. A few things to kind of point out. First of all, um, when we talk about healthcare today, um, we really should not just talk about the primary care office, right? A lot of health happens outside of the primary care office. Um, healthcare is really everywhere. It's at the school, it's at home, it's in the workplace. And we have done a lot of work, about half of the work we have done have been outside uh, the primary care. We've done a lot of work with K-12, we've done a lot of public health um, uh, work, which is completely just for the public to be educated around substance use or opioids or mental health. And so there's really a need to think about healthcare very broadly. And that leads to a lot of interesting uh, type of of experiences, right? So at at that point, you can think about helping K-12 teachers to recognize when students are showing signs of psychological distress and how to not just recognize it, but actually do something about it and go and approach the the student and talk to them about seeking help. Or if they're an elementary school student, how to talk to the parent about it. So you can really continue to, brought, to broaden the applications, which is part of what we're doing as a company to grow, is to continue to find these key conversations out there that um, people can really benefit from, right? So we're not trying to really replace what is currently being done. There's a lot of great work that's being done, but we feel that it's limited because it doesn't drive changes in behavior it's mainly concentrated on building knowledge and building awareness, but without giving people the practice in actually doing what we want them to do, I don't think that we're likely to really see a behavior change, which is what our clients are really looking to do. And uh, the, the other element here is to also keep in mind that because this is all done in a simulated uh, game-like environment, the decisions that you make as a user all are being, they're being used in two ways. One is to run the experience, right? So as you make decisions, the virtual human adapts to to your decision. So we can give you a very personalized experience, but also it allows organizations to really get a behind the scene on how these users are doing, right? They can see where their nurses and physicians struggle or where they have done very well in the conversation. Um, Well, you mentioned the project with the CDC that was for patients of triple negative breast cancer. Well, in their case, we can see, based on the decision of the, of the user, whether as they go through this conversation, are they really gaining knowledge? 
um, are their intent to pursue chemotherapy, chemotherapy, for example, is going up or down as they go through the conversation. So there's a lot of power here in being able to look at the data behind the scene to really evaluate whether the experience resulted in more than just completion. We, we don't like to assess our work with how many people completed it, right? That's not how we should look at this experience as we should look at as the change in behavior has really occurred. Is it likely to occur in real life? The topic get, gets really, really broad at that point when you look at, the, at that concept. Yeah, I love the fact that I, I feel like I'm an eavesdropper, uh, watching from, from a distance perhaps and, and being able to see right where people struggle and the choices that they make or don't make. Um, even more is though, are those uh, analytic tools, evaluation tools. Talk a little bit about when uh, organizations want to use your, your, your uh, software for evaluation. They want to actually test whether uh, someone is able to master the conversation or not. Right. So, uh, yeah, thank you for bringing that up because there's something we sometimes forget to mention, uh, which is uh, if you're a client of ours, uh, which, by the way, the majority of our clients are government and, and nonprofit, but we also do a lot of work with, with healthcare. Um, yes, there is a wealth of data that uh, you gain access for. And by the way, that data is what resulted in the fact that we are the only company that have any simulations listed in the National Registry of Evidence-Based Programs and Practices, which is run by HHS, and it's a federal registry. And we're very proud to have five simulations there. And it's because that data gets generated and our partners can run analysis and publish data on it. So I'll, I'll explain what these data is, but I think one of the important things, and this is a, a big trend right now, is the fact that the data that gets collected and the data that we have to show the efficacy of our products was not collected in a lab. It was collected in... In, out there in kind of a real setting of real people using it. So the validity of that data is much higher and that there's much more confidence in our client that they can duplicate those results again and again because it was never, you know, worked in a lab and who knows if it's going to work in real life. But the data that a, that a client gets is, first of all, the basic stuff, right? Yes, they will know who went in and they will know whether people, uh, what they, what, where they went, whether they completed they will know uh, through surveys uh, before, after, and as a follow-up what people thought about it. People at that point can also report their preparedness level or changes. They can report changes in their behavior that occur in real life. And then the third level of being able to actually go in and see what people did in the simulation, whether they have uh, corrected mistakes at the beginning of the conversation and got better towards the end, whether as they go through scenario to scenario to scenario, whether they're improving their competency in doing it, or in the case of the patient, are they really from the beginning of the, simula of the conversation to the end of it, has their knowledge went up, has their motivation to do something went up. All of that is data get, gets tracked pretty much automatically, and the only challenge here is to figure out from all this wealth of data which data points are really interesting for you. Um, and that's something that we want to do because, you know, we're, this is our passion. This is, what, this is what we do. There's about 85 people at Cognito based in our New York City office. Uh, we wake up in the morning. We want this to work, but we also want to have the data 
to show that it works. So we know that what we're doing really makes a difference and really changes lives of people. Yeah, that's the, that's that's really the hallmark. Um, you know, I, I think that is it just absolutely uh, stopped us in our tracks. Uh, the, the the level of of passion uh, you have for your work and uh, those uh, at your office and the commitment you have to get it right. Um, in fact, uh, for our listeners, just to, to tell you, we, we, we found Cognito through a circuitous way, uh, through some other partners, and immediately upon uh, talking with them, we started to see applications for uh, many of the chronic diseases that we work with, uh, CDC on in particular, and it has really opened the floodgates. We've now completed four different uh, simulations with Cognito around uh, the various areas of cancer, and we're uh, on the threshold of, of starting four more. So, uh, so lots to uh, to look forward to, and uh, we'd just love for you to to reach out and ask ways that uh, you know uh, we can connect you with Cognito if it looks like uh, a match. But it's always worth a conversation. Um, so I, I want to make sure that the people know where they can go to learn a little bit more and, and see these simulations, because as we said at the beginning, you've got to see it to believe it uh, and to truly understand it. So I know at Cognito, with a K, Cognito.com, uh, you, can, you can, you know, go in and, and uh, is it, is, tell, me, tell me, Ron, is, you know, I know there's one called Change Talk, uh, talking mm-hmm. about childhood obesity. Is that open for people to, to click and play? Yes, there is a few, because of the work we have done with nonprofits and government, there's uh, a few applications that are publicly available. Um, the easiest way to find them is either by searching on the Apple or the um, Google Play stores. Just put in Cognito, you will see there's everything from uh, child obesity, there's an HPV vaccination, there's uh, something that we did around mental health for veterans. Uh, there's a number of, of applications there that you can play with. And obviously on our website at cognito.com, uh, there's um, about 25 different demos that you can play. And if any one of them is of interest or you just want to talk and learn more about what we do and how we do it, obviously just reach out. We're always happy, um, as you can tell, to talk about our stuff. Well, it's just so downright interesting. Uh, another, another uh, on the App Store, another place to go is to type in triple negative breast cancer. There's only one of them out there, so it'll pop right up. And, uh, and that's the, the, the coach conversation that we've been talking about. Uh, before we end, I'd love to just touch on the, um, the application that I believe one of the states did to uh, certify uh, physicians that wanted to bill for Medicaid. Was, was that Oklahoma, Ron? Tell me about that. Um, Oklahoma was a state where, where this was used, but the program... Um, was created. We, we've done a lot of work around the concept of screening and brief intervention, uh, which is very common in substance use and, and now in mental health and obviously opioids playing into it. So where you as a health professional, nurse, social worker, physician can really learn how to screen a patient, but more importantly, once you recognize that they're at risk, how do you do what's known as brief intervention, which means uh, l- let me talk to you about what is, what is not right in the way you behave, motivate you to change it, and if you're at high risk, actually refer you and connect you with support services. Those are not easy conversations to have. I mean, even around opioids, there's a lot of conversation about the fact that, yes, there are guidelines out there the CDC and other organizations created, but they don't always get implemented because these conversations are not always very easy for providers to have. So we created a number of different um, simulations around that, even for 
uh, adolescent patients, which is obviously a, an important need that different organizations use. And this is known as SBIRT, S-B-I-R-T. There, there's actually, um, you can be reimbursed for that activity. So there's a number of states that have really promoted this um, as, yes, the uh, reimbursement is available, but we would really prefer that you take this training and the simulation, which in that case is about a 45-minute simulation, to make sure that you know how to do this well. Right? We don't want people to bill for screening or brief intervention without that result being a positive one. And because th these are not skills that people learn in a medical school, it is okay for them not to know how to do it well, but we should provide them with the ability to learn how to improve on it, right? And it's an overall just an interesting trend where as reimbursement for things that are more conversation-like is becoming more and more common, like end-of-life conversation. And it is not easy for whoever provides that reimbursement, if it's CMS and others, to really know that you're good at that, right? Because it's not like a blood test. Yes, I checked check the box. I did that. And if you had that conversation, there is a need for programs to make sure that you're actually good at it before you go into the field and start, you know, doing it and not to mention being reimbursed for that. Yeah, I think it's a great, great uh, point. And, and for anyone listening who is uh, looking to create a training or a CME program, uh, I, I have to put in the plug that the, the, the science reveals that people uh, will want to do these simulations. They will, try, they will choose these trainings over didactic videos or uh, PDFs they have to read, etc. You can imagine it is that engaging. So if you really want to get your training across, this is a fabulous uh, way to get uptake. Uh, well, I just want to uh, thank uh, Ron again. This has been uh, another edition of Power Tools, uh, co-founder of Cognito, Cognito with a K, with Ron Goldman, the co-founder there, and I uh, look forward to uh, you all going to Cognito.com and uh, looking at some of these, pull them down from the App Store, share them with your teams, and uh, I think immediately applications will come to mind. So thanks again, Ron, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again in the near future. All right. Thank you very much. All righty. Bye-bye. For more information, go to Cognito.com, K-O-G-N-I-T-O.com. And for more power tools go to chronicdisease.org.